Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsessions will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hello, Nerd Melt. Jackie Cajun here. Welcome to the Dark Forest. Please applaud. There it is. There it is. It's exciting. We're we're it's another live the Dork Forest here at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles, California. And my guest this evening, Mr. Mark Marin. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Oh, sure. Sure. I usually uh, I usually do the credits right here, which is just Patrick Brady fixes yeah. the audio after Zach uh, records over Keep it here. up. Keep it up. Give it up for Patrick Brady who <laughs> massages it up. He does a nice job. You get a blood for Patrick Brady. That's the guy who keeps saying, what do you think about headsets? What do you think about a windscreen? What do you think about a boom? Because I go on dork expeditions. Sure. And he doesn't, he's incredibly supportive and comes up with magical things. But uh, he'd be like, what about this? Yeah. This would be awesome. Little mixer you can bring with you. Yeah. Nope, nothing. Oh, never mind. Yeah. And, uh, How about a love? You want to wear a love? I know it. That's what he said today because he offered a headset and yeah. I said, I don't think I can talk somebody into wearing a headset. I wear headsets all the time. Do you wear a headset, but would you do it if you were out? Sure. Oh, would you? Yeah, I'll wear them anywhere. Yeah, because I like to hear myself talk that much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You own it. Own it. Well, there's something about when you do uh, broadcasting that if you get used to wearing the, the cans. The cans. You know, you're there, there's a loop that goes on. You're like, hey, I'm on the radio in my head. Right. Oh, yeah, it, it does animate right, you. Right, sure. Yeah. So you can sort of gauge how far you should be from the microphone or whether you should be back here, and, and it, it helps me. Yeah. It, so I don't know what the fuck is going to happen right now. This is it. I'm like, I'm in the wilderness without my cans <laughs> should have brought some cans yeah man need some cans you said cans i did anyway um yeah and then vilmos does the website he fixes the website and then mike rickberg just sang that song him and his girlfriend sarah sometimes mm. i call her his wife uh, yeah, they're not married no anyway no well, if you're singing together that's pretty close it is close and it's sort of it has sort of a nice sort of all in the family song feel to it yeah it makes me feel happy that. it's kind of a happy song that's not easy that's true what <laughs> You know what? What I like is I said, Mark, what's your darkdom? And uh, and you said, I'll figure something out. I'll figure something out. It'll all work out. And because the last time you were on, you were on the the non pre recorded one, and yeah. you, and I remember you did go on about an eight to ten minute rant about the Indian clay oven that you almost bought. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know what's amazing about my dorkdom is I don't even remember that. <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember that I was that obsessed right. about in, having an India clay oven. It was so close. You were like, I was really into Indian food at one point. Is that something? I almost bought a $12,000 oven. I was yeah. like, yeah, that counts. Yeah, that counts, yeah. it turns out. Oh, I know. The green egg thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That passed. <laughs> I... Uh, that's that's why I never feel like a real nerd or dork is because my obsessions are so intense, but usually burn out very quickly. Okay, uh, and I don't I don't really have the the focus to remain committed to any obsession, and rarely are they good. You know, no one you can't say like I nerded out on coke. Right. You, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> You're such I was a such coke a nerd, nerd for booze for a few years. <laughs> 
I could have told you any booze that I drank. <laughs> and I could have drank all of your booze yeah. if I was out of my booze. Yeah, I was such a nerd. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to nerd out about. It's a, I could suggest you could do boutique chickens. You could keep chickens. I've done that stuff. Chickens. I, I, I do have the, the nerd gene, but I, I don't uh, – it's never that productive. And usually what happens is I just – like I'm the kind of person that if I hear one song by a band, I was the guy like if they're an unknown band, I'm like, I have to get everything they ever did. Right. Like I've got like 20 thermals records and I only think they put out four. So oh, I, wow. I don't even you – know, you know, like when I was first into the Flaming Lips, like right. when they were popular, I'm like, they've been around that long? I have to have the entire catalog. Oh, my God. And then, and then you just get overwhelmed by the amount of music and I don't listen to them. Then people mm-hmm. come over and they're like, well, you got all of those. I'm like, I don't know anything about them. Right. <laughs> what I like is that I have one of each album uh-huh. and then I – and I'm like, no, I'm just going to listen to that one. That's yeah. it. That, that's all I know about the Flaming List is uh, Lips is that one song that has fight test on it because it made me happy. Yeah, and I, and I, but I love them so much. And it, but it happens with all with music a lot. Uh, where where I'll buy the entire catalog of somebody just because I need to possess it. I I have a, a thing with books as well. That do you do I, authors? Well, I accumulate books because they comfort me. It doesn't mean I read them. Um, okay. Are I, you building a fort? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have a library of books and, and I really have all intentions of getting to them. Right. And then when I was on radio, then people were sending books to the station oh. and people were just throwing them on the shelf. Like, yeah, we get all these books. I'm like, what do you mean? Someone's got to take them home. Right. So now, you know, I've got an entire political wing of my Ooh. library. Uh, and then people walk in. They're like, wow, this is great. So, the, oh, that book. I'm like, I don't know. Again, yeah. it's like the music. I, I, I have no idea what's in there, but I possess the information. Uh, <laughs> if you needed to reference it, you could find out what yeah. was happening. Yeah, I should check books. I should let people check books out. But, you know. You but, could. My father-in-law writes on the inside of all the books he lends people. This was stolen from Clyde Ashcraft. I think I have two of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. The, the Recently, the, the, the thing is, is I don't know yeah, the, the... the difference between uh, uh, being being uh, nerdy or dorking out on something and just being obsessed. Like, I, the, I've got these pants on, and I've been through this before. With um, those pants? No, with another pair of pants that had a mythology behind them. And that, you know, required a certain type of attention. Like I was in, I'm a sucker for certain things. And I get very loyal. More than nerdy, I get, you know, I get attached to things. And I was, uh, you know, my, my manager, this is a long, you know, I'll okay. go the long way around. Do it. My manager joined forces with this larger management company. And they happen to manage this company in Nashville, Tennessee called Emma Jean and Willie. And they make jeans. And then my manager said, they're really the most popular jeans. They're, the, they're, they're the best jeans. And I'm like, really? So, <laughs> so I go to Nashville. I'm doing comedy in Nashville. And I'm like, I better go over to Emma Jean and Willie's and check out these amazing jeans. And then you go to their website and it's one of those places where they make three pairs of pants, a hat, you know, a vest, <laughs> one jacket, and and it and it all takes place at a renovated gas station. You know, <laughs> and there's a dog in the picture, and a lot of people wow. with beards. You know, mm-hmm. we're just sure. working off the land, making pants with our hands. Right. And, you know, and I I'm just a sucker for that. I'm like, wow, these must be authentic and have integrity, because look at the backstory. There's a dog involved. <laughs> Somebody and, put a sepia tone on this photo. Right, it's that feeling, it's a, right? Yes. So I go there and right away I'm in. You know, I'm like, well, oh, this is great. You guys only make four things. So they've <laughs> got to be get the, all the four best. if you yeah, wanted if them. If I wanted, but I'm just going to space it out a little That's bit. It. 
So <laughs> pace uh, yourself. Yeah. So I try these pants on, and they've got a person like they're they're these classic fit. Like there's a backstory with the woman who started it. Her her father invented like stonewash, you know, or something like you know, <laughs> like you know, back in the day when stonewash was only her father doing it. They had a series of washing machines and dryers at their house, and everyone in the family was up all night creating this amazing magical stonewash. Stones. So. Well, basically, the premise is, is like, we understand denim. Right. You know? <laughs> we Our get... family's been working with denim right. since the invention of denim. Right. Well, I Weird. had this issue with, uh, I went to the Levi's store, and for some reason, I believe in Levi's. You know, it's like, I don't uh, wear a lot of Levi's, but in my brain, that little red tag has some sort of meaning. Right. Like, I remember there, like, in my mind, there was a time when Levi's made good, stiff pants that you could wear a lifetime. <laughs> right. But we, I don't own any of those from seventh grade. And <laughs> We couldn't afford Levi's. And I rem- and to this very day, whenever I see Levi's, I'm like, ooh, someone got Levi's. Oh. And, uh, I mean, there's no, I mean, Wranglers, I don't want any part of. You, I know. Or I know Lee? That, How about Lee? No. Oh. No, no. I do Never. like the, the slogan of Wrangler is the best, though. One tough customer. Oh yeah, uh, we we know what you want and yeah. we get it or whatever. That's not it. That's but actually not the slogan of. I have no I, idea what it I is. I bought a Wrangler denim shirt that I'm going to try to uh, integrate oh, into my being. That's I, it. <laughs> if there's anything that I nerd out on, it's shoes and I, jeans. I, I want to know what, what the prep on these shoes. Okay, here I'm okay. getting to it. Oh, I'm, I'm coming sorry. it around. Good, so good. What I was saying is, I went to the Levi's store not too long ago, and they were trying to do this uh, rigid jean thing where I walked in. There was a gentleman <laughs> with it. You know, he was uh, younger than me, and he had a handlebar mustache, which I hate. And um, and I bought these pants, hard. and it was one of these situations where I'm trying on pants. He's like, "What you have to do with these pants?" And people who listen to my podcast heard some of this, but he said, "You buy them, and then you get into a bathtub with them on." What? And you sit in the tub for a little while, and then you get out and you wear them until they're they're dry, and then that's how you fit them to you. I'm a 48 year old man, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I guess that's what has to be done. <laughs> So, you know, cut to me. Of course I did it. I podcasted it for fuck's sake. (laughs) So I'm in. Did you podcast from the top? Yes. Oh, that's. Why have I missed that? But the problem was, it was, is then it's like, what happens the day after? Like, then they felt too tight. I didn't really like the pants. They didn't fit that great. I was mad at the guy because when he was selling me the pants, I didn't like the way his fit. They looked (laughs) stupid. He was packed into them. So, like, what happens is I go through all this to-do, and within days, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm putting them in the washing machine. Yeah. Because the premise is you get in the tub, and then you don't wash them for the rest of your life. And that's this whole thing with these jeans. They're like, you never wash them. If they start to stink, then you put, throw them in the freezer. And then you think Oh, my God. Andy Wood just told me about those pants. What, there there this should be like an a, epidemic on putting your pants in the freezer. What the f- I'll tell you what that is, because this is the same situation. But now, oh, mind you, Levi? I've only met and only recently did I meet a, a man who, who actually followed through with this. So I go <laughs> to, uh, to Emma Jean and Willie and they give me the same rap. This is raw denim. It's never been touched by water. And oh. that makes you, and then you're sort of like, wow, never been touched by water. Oh my God. And then you're looking at your pants like they're separate and more important than you. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got a woman there that they have old fashioned sewing machines. So they, they'll cut them right there. And then you just watch the, they use the, you know, it's either hemmed with the gold How thread. Yeah. And, and then there comes the wrap where it's like, look, what you want to do with these is you just wear them for as long as you can. Like you don't want to put water on them for like six months uh, to a year. 
And then, of course, I'm like, well, what if, what if, like, let's be candid, I'm a man and, you know, everything starts to smell after a while. You don't want to acknowledge that, but eventually you're, you're You're alive. That's human. Smells come out of you. And, uh, I don't think that. Right. Yeah. I'm going to leave it pretty. Yeah. yeah. It's nice though. Yeah. So, but, so, but I'm committed. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this with these pants. I'm not going to wash them for a year. And then what happens is I'm doing it. I'm wearing the pants. They're looking good. They're looking like like they're supposed to. Things right. are happening for a month. I'm nothing. No no washing them. I'm wearing every them day? every day. Or no, I'm wearing okay. them all the time. These are them. Those are them. So so then what happens is uh, I'm I'm scouring a pan with a comet. Okay. And uh, because I, I you know I was writing that day. And, um, and of course, of I don't course. know who you are. When you start writing, you're like, oh, it's time to scour pans. Yeah. <laughs> so Wait, I do. Yeah, I do get that. Okay. Go. So I'm scouring this pan with the comet and then a big old, you know, bunch of this comet liquid goes right on my, my pants that I'm not supposed to touch with water, like all over them. And I'm like, now what? I can't brush that off. Now, you know, like I am livid. You and, just and fed a gremlin yes, after I'm, midnight. Yeah. I'm hating on myself. I'm like, what now? How have I have to? And I didn't know what to do. I tried to wipe it off. Then I'm like, it's going to affect the fade, you know? <laughs> and now like I can't commit to a year because I've got to rinse these. And this is all in a panic. Right. And what's worse is that, like, I'm panicking and I'm like, I got it. I've got to put them in the tub. I can't put them in the washing machine. I can't really wash them because that'll that'll fuck up the whole system. So, And I've got to be somewhere in like a half hour when this happens. So in a panic, I run water into the tub. I rinse them. I'm freaking out because the, the comet's not really coming out. And I can see the difference. Like, only oh. I, I'm obsessing on like, there's a slight change in tone right here. <laughs> And, and I'm freaking out and like I, 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 I rinse them off and I hang them outside. Now, the, the most upsetting thing about this is my girlfriend had to witness this. Yeah. Now, you don't it's want to one thing to be an obsessive, fucked up person alone because then uh, hopefully eventually you're like, what am I doing? But, but when you have a person sitting there going, just relax. I'm like, no, you can see where the comet was. I, but see, what I do is then like I, I'm like, I have to, get, I have to call Emma Jean and Willie. I have to call them tomorrow. All right. Because I already fucked up this pair. I got to have them send out a new pair. Do they keep you on file? Well, they did. I mean, I talked to them. I called them the next day. What? Yeah, but see, now I've set up an entire different paradigm for myself because, like, these are the ones, and they fit kind of baggy, you know, because I, I lost a little weight, but they kind of stretched out too much. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe you should get a size smaller. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I got to commit to that. But this, but I told her the whole Comet story, and she was like, Okay, you know, like, <laughs> like they, they had sold me on this whole mythology of these pants, and I was trying to explain to her, thinking she was a sympathetic ear, like I was going to do the year thing, you know, right. I, I had all intention of not washing them for a year, and then I got comet liquid comet on my pants, and then I had to put them in the tub. I have no idea, like, but I want these pants now. No, for I know, me. I know. I just, I kind of want to go get them. But, but the woman says, like, well, some people. Uh, actually do that. They actually rinse. You didn't dry them, right? I'm like, hell no, I didn't. <laughs> and she goes, well, I'll let you know that some people like to rinse them first before they start their process. So I'm like, ah, so I'm okay. I'm still like other people that have committed to these pants. I'm not completely off the reservation. See, and that is the telling line. Well, you, why do How you are... think that other people have this perfection? Like, you know, then you're, you're picturing a large community of men who have committed to their pants and have over... Andy Wood is part of that commitment, by the you way. Know, I don't well, know if you... Kevin Christie. Oh, is he also in? Well, I started talking to him about these pants and he's like, oh, dude, 
I got a pair of, uh, uh, not these kind, but he's like, I've got a pair that I haven't washed in a year. And I'm like, I just got a comet on my, this is the third, the second time I told the comet story to a person. Right. Like, I, like, just loose. Look, if, right. Like, like it's regular conversation. Dude, I had these pants I wasn't going to wash in a year. And then I got comet on them and I didn't know what to, who has that conversation with anybody? <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, but Kevin know. Christie's like, oh, you, well, you're going to have to, because I got a pair I haven't washed in a year. And he's like, what you got to do is you just got to rub your oils into it. You rub got, your yeah, oils. Like, what is it, a baseball you, glove? Right. Yeah. It is. It's the same kind of idea. Uh, like he has this pair that he said, like, I I, I, I built things in them. And anytime I sweat, I just rub my hands on them. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, I fucked up all this future for, you know, for wow. these pants. He has more manly pants than well, you. Well, yeah, but he really sold me on it. So I called and I ordered another pair. So now I'm waiting for those in the mail. And now my So this just pair, happened. Oh, yeah. No, this I just is... ordered them like they should be here any day, and All they're right. size smaller because she said that they stretch out, that denim, that denim like you know grows or something. You know, they have a language around it, sure. and uh, and uh, and now I'm really looking forward to them, but I'm a little nervous about the size because now I got to commit to a pair of pants. It's probably going to be too tight for me, with the hopes that they become the perfect pair of pants. But there is no perfection, Jackie. Right. <laughs> I, you know what? I have a friend, Jenny Bergman, New York City. Who? Uh, shout out. Je- you don't know her. Anyway, I don't know why I, should, I messaged her. But, uh, so she, uh, has always been looking for the perfect bag. Mm. It's a, and not necessarily a purse. It could be a shoulder bag. It could be, uh, like one of those, those bike bags. Mm-hmm. She, her and her dad spend a, a, a fair bit of money and time and energy, uh, Helping looking for the, uh, palling around, looking for the bag. Yeah. Nothing. I don't know. No, I I thought I had the perfect bag at one point. Now it's too fucking big. Angry, angry about you're the bag, mad, right? It, it yeah. let you down. It did let me down because I was like, okay, this is the perfect carry on, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, and now I wish I had bought the small one. Mm. And yet that would have been too small. So it's a fascinating story. So I'm what you're tell basically it again. doing, tell it again. Uh, metaphorically, is yeah. beating yourself now with the bigger bag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is that what's happening? That's but what's I, happening. But that's if like if I really think about things I, I, I dork out on, it's like also I bought that Wrangler denim shirt thinking that I could pull off a denim shirt. No snaps. one tries to do that. Snaps. Yeah, snaps and everything. Oh. But but that's a long commitment. And I do that. The other thing I do that with is like this. Like I'm wearing a wool. I'm no Jesse Thorne. All right. So don't. No, don't. <laughs> oh, no. Do not put me in that right, range right. of things. I believe in making things dirty and, 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 and real. But this, this, den, this wool vest. I look forward to fall because I got a thing for dressing. Like I have these jackets right. that is I that commit corduroy? to. Is that, is it's that a corduroy is jacket. That a tiny whale and this corduroy? little vest I must have had for 12 years already. Right. But, you know, I, I'll pull it out. But shoes, too. Like these shoes are these cold zip-up beetle boots kind of. Like, look at those. Now, I bought those probably five or six years ago. And when I first bought them, I, th- I thought, like, well, I'm going to have to commit to these. But I wasn't prepared to do that. So... So eventually what happens, <laughs> now you got your shoe. But look at that. Look at how beautiful that's formed and, and to your foot. Let me tell you about these shoes. I yeah. bought these shoes almost uh, 15, 20 years now, ago. See? London, England. See? You know why? Because I take care of my shoes. Right. That's right. That's right. Do you shelve them for a couple years? I do. Yes. I do. Yeah. Rotate. Rotate out with uh, with a dress shoe. I don't do a lot of dress shoe. This is a real nice one, though. Isn't it? No, but look, at it looks like you know no one's going to do that to that shoe but you. Whatever's <laughs> happened true. to that shoe is between you and that shoe. It was... And, 
And, and it, it always it, reminds me of how I spent too much money in London when I didn't have it. Does and, it uh, really? Yeah, yeah, but that's all right because I've I've gotten uh, like fifteen. How many years. times have you had them resold? How great never, is that feeling? Never. never. But I do love. The thing is, is I genuinely I don't wear dress shoes that often. Oh. So uh, is that a dress shoe? This is a dress shoe for okay. me. For me, this is a dress shoe. I don't know for others. Did well, you see that crazy stupid love by any chance? Uh, uh, I'm better than the Gap. That uh, thing. Crazy stupid love. Which one crazy was that? Stu- that was the one with uh, no. Steve I didn't Carell. go see that. No, it, it seemed was, like a, a large cast that uh, that was did. better than the script. That's what you're thinking. Well, no, I just thought that there's no way this is going to be better than the coming attraction. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it, but then yeah. I enjoy crap. You can always tell those movies that kind of blow their load in the trailer. You yeah. know what I mean? It's true. It's, uh, <laughs> but Steve Carell, I think, makes everyone rise to the occasion. Yeah, well, he's so damn funny. He's and a better actor than he needs to be mm-hmm. in that. Because if Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock had been in Crazy Stupid Love, mm, bad. entirely different movie. I already fell asleep when you were saying I, it. Uh, <laughs> I would have also enjoyed that film. But the thing about the shoes is I finally pulled these out after a few years, and now they're in. I've committed to them. I commit, like I'm oh, committed yeah. to the pants, committed to these shoes, and I will wear these things the entire fall. It and is, it, yeah. And that's like, if there's one Those thing. Those are I great did, shoes. Are they super comffortable? They are. And I, po- I had them polished at the airport, which is always weird because I feel a little aristocratic. Right. Um, <laughs> Just a little. But it, it's a pleasure I afford myself, you know, because, you know, they're, they're sitting there. And if there's no one's getting their shoe polished, you're like, you, you, there's that moment where I, it always happens like at Burbank or something. Because I, I always get to the airport early. Right. I don't like that. Mm. And if I have shoes that need to be polished, I'll kind of, you know, stalk the shoe shine area. Like I'll walk by and I'll look at them and then I'll look down at my shoe. And I'll look at them, and I'll go get a coffee, <laughs> and I'll walk back, and I'll look at my shoe again. I'm like, all right, let's do it. How long does it take to get your shoes shined? Like 10, 10 12 minutes okay. usually. And you sit, sit up there in the stirrups. But I know that as a, you know, hearing that as a woman is not a problem. It's like a thing you put your foot on. Right. One of them. It's interesting because that outfit, that's very dapper. That's a nice outfit on you. Uh, but you do look a little bit like a Western, an old-timey Western doctor. <laughs> Like, like you're so the like Doc Holiday? guy. Yeah, like Doc Holiday. I can live with that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Old timey Western thing. doctor. I think that's fine. That, that's you know, fine. That'll set me apart. Though and these... then secretly dangerous. You got a Derringer. Yeah. Hey, oh yeah. I got oh, a yeah. I got a Derringer and TB. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. No one would arm you. <laughs> just TB. I just have a, I have to have a bloody hanky that I carry around. <laughs> I hate those movies when someone starts coughing because then yeah. you know they're dead. Yeah. Oh, Moulin yeah. Rouge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I never get anything like that. The wheeze. Yeah. What was that movie where everyone was a ghost? It was the, uh, not usual suspects. I think if you were like to really get. The sixth sense. I think that all movies, everyone's a ghost because of the nature of projection. Dun, dun, dun. And we could have a really weird kind of film uh, uh, film school talk about that right now if you wanted to. That'd be great. Yeah. And then, and then so many people are dead. Yeah. We're in the film, so are and they so not? They, but it's, uh, then they really are ghosts. Then they are. Yeah, all those old movies. What do you think of the old Tarzan movies? Just go in there for a second for no well, reason. Well, you know what uh, Johnny Weissmuller movies? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever watched a whole one. Oh, bad topic. On no, my it's part. not a bad topic. I don't know why. I know who Johnny Weissmuller is. Yep. You want to talk about nerding out on something else? Sure. I was obsessed as a younger person, like really young, like you know, 10 and 11 years okay. old, with old movie actors. And pictures of them. Not old movies, but pictures of Stills. old movie actors. Yes. And I had several books of, of, fr- about, about old movie actors. 
And, and, and it was something my grandmother sort of got me into because she was such a fan of old movies. Right. But I never seemed to watch the old movies, but I could probably to this day, like if I saw certain actors from, from the silent era, you know, up through the thirties, I could identify them and having not seen any of their movies. <laughs> really? Do you know what Zazu Pitts looks like? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I... there's a few. I know what, uh, uh, Slim Somerville looks like. Oh, I've I don't heard even, of him. Yeah, I don't, yeah, know. I don't even. And, I, and the reason I remember him, I think that's his name, is because he was born in Albuquerque. He was a silent movie clown. I know. Uh, yeah, I, I just had, oh, and I uh, and I was obsessed with their pictures so much. Like when I was in like um, seventh grade, even I had created this collage of tabloid uh, movie stills and from magazines on the wall of my bedroom. So it was all centered like around a colo- with yeah, a collage. Like I was just pa- taping pictures up. It looked like a psychopath or a schizophrenic's <laughs> bedroom. You're like, like Charles Lawton really wanted to go out with Claudette Colbert. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I didn't make up stories. Oh, okay. Like oh, no. I had like dead Lana Turner. You know, I had like Fatty Arbuckle and oh. Court, and I had all these around my bed. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what that's about, but I was really obsessed with uh, with black and white stills of old movie actors. That's cool. that's how I knew who Johnny Weissmuller is really right because. Uh, I, had, I I remember him from the pictures. And There's some great movies. The, uh, Tarzan and his mate is mm. uh, is one of my personal faves. I don't know if you're out there watching uh, some Tarzan movies, uh, but that's a good one. It's pre boy, but uh, you know he meets Jane. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's good. It's got a nice arc. Sure. Yeah. I wish I I, w- I, I wish I had uh, more um, attention to really focus complete. Like I think I gave up on obsessively uh, nerding out about things just because you, you really have to build your life around it. Like, like I was into comic books for this weird window of about three years. Really? And then, and then it just stopped because you know, I could not be one of those guys at the store picking up a bag, you know, like, like, like here, like, you know, like sure, every when week. When it was Coke, you didn't yeah. care. <laughs> now. No. Well, you're there just was like, a, oh my God, Coke, Avengers can't do it. Yes, but, but Coke, what did like, you read? It, Coke and comic books would have been good because a very small amount of Coke required very little attention. Ooh. I mean, it was like, we're done. Let's go. <laughs> then the comic books would have come in handy because I had about 12 hours on my hands. Oh, my God. But comic books are great because they only take like 15, 20 minutes each time. I love them, but like it became, it got a little out of hand. What what were you reading, if I might be so bold? Well, well, there was a, it started in a weird way in that I was in New York and I read a comic. uh, It was a a graphic. um, I don't know what you would call it. It was called World War Three Illustrated. It was uh, mostly graphic art and, uh, but it was satire based. It was, you know, it was like a fuck the man kind of uh, publication and they came out in New York and I saw this comic strip about McDonald's. Like it was like, and and it taught me all the stuff that fast food nation taught everybody years later about the the politics of McDonald's, how they treated everything. But in McDonald's, Ronald McDonald was this evil and it changed my life. Right. So then I started getting into from, from when I was a little kid, like going into the head shop before I even smoke pot or anything else, I'd go to the underground comics. I learned what sex looked like from underground comics because I went into Walden books at the one rock mall. Right. And there was a collection of underground comics there. And I looked at it. I must have been 12 years old. And there was a whole mm-hmm. section on sex. And I saw the R. Crumb stuff, the Spain stuff, like graphic stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's where it goes. Right. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like it, it taught me something. But And I just wasn't into comics. I liked underground comics a bit. But then there was this weird window when Hellblazer started and Sandman started. And uh, it, it, I, I got really 
into Hellblazer. Right. That was, and Swamp Thing, I started to get like the Swamp Things that had John Constantine in them. Okay. And, but like my problem was, is I was so out of my mind at the time when I started reading Hellblazer is that like I identified with him. I'm like, wow. like John Constantine and me are kind of similar. We're both like, you know, kind of undercover agents in the world of the occult. <laughs> <laughs> you are doomed, but with a heart, with a soul, man. Yeah. That's yeah. what, uh. And then from there, it got pretty big. You know, I started reading a lot of stuff. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I met Patton and he's like, oh, Oh, I'll get you set up, you know, and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so, so then, you, you know, you're like, you know, with Pat, and you're like, you got to get him, you know, just a packaging for you at the store. I'm like, I can't be that guy. You know, right. I got other things going on. Right. And look what ended up happening for him. Look where I am. Right. <laughs> you're both wildly successful. It is sad. It is sad to see that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm I, not gonna... I got 37 people want to come out and see a little dark forest action. But this is a I lovely like crowd. It. And, you know, it you is have a lovely to... crowd. They all brought dates. I like it. Yeah. I don't I mind mean, that. You know, the crowd's like, we went to uh, Jessica and I went to see Fountains of Wayne the other night, and uh, I, I don't. I really... have one of their albums. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I didn't really know their stuff, but it was like it, it, I could not. Well, we went to the Troubadour, which God knows what has gone on in that club over the years, oh. and I'd never really seen them or, or remember their music. Maybe one song, and she was really into them. And I, I'd never seen a more pleasant crowd. They were just, you know, everyone's got their horn rims on and people are in their 40s. And then right up front, there were these two kids, a guy and a girl that must have been 14 and 13. And they were just sitting there singing along, you know, like just you could literally the see them developing, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> and... And, and right behind him were their parents singing along and like patting it. It was like this little family circle, like just singing and dancing in front of Fountains of Wayne. I'm like, holy shit, is this rock and roll or what? Right? That's where it's come to. It's, uh, it was yeah. very sweet. And they were good. Well, I, I wish those them. people would go to Occupy Wall Street. All of those nice horn rim people. They should all be in Occupy Aren't Wall Street. Aren't they there? Yeah, but there's also the lesbian drumming circles and the Native American dancers. Well, that's, a, that's the problem with the left, is when they all show up, it's going to be chaos. <laughs> I have a theory, though, that the, the right has those creepy tea party people, too. And I, I think, like, the center of the tea party and the center of the Occupy people would have more in common with the crazy fringe on the tea party and the crazy fringe on the, on the left. No, that's absolutely true. I think that, uh, that let's, some let's of them. Let's all that join way, hands. No. Well, I, well, I think that some of them do share a lot of the, the same ideas. It's yeah. just that, uh, I, I think that the tea parties couch it in some sort of weird, uh, constitutional isol isolationism. Whereas, uh, I think that the, uh, Occupy Wall Street, if they were really given a little time, would couch it in a sort of like, um, maybe a, you know, a 30% socialism type of thing. So that's the big difference is like one is sort of like, fuck everybody else let's just shoot people right. and uh and start with the bankers and the other people are let's get our money back and share it so um <laughs> uh yeah if there's any hackers out there who know how to hack into the like the top 50 billionaires it'd be kind of awesome if they just spread it all over like donors shoes or the naacp or uh, well, something I well know. i i am fairly like you know having done political talk radio for years and 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 being you know uh, uh, as like much you were a, dipped man no i was but i got very disillusioned Illusioned and very um, aggravated. You know, I was always a reactionary, but I was not much of a wonk, and I wasn't a policy guy, and I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have, you know, the senator baseball cards or anything. I didn't, oh, you right, know. Oh, right, like who all the players yeah, are. Yeah, I was sort of like, where are. do I point my fuck you fingers? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that, that was my politics, so. <laughs> it's like, I can be of use to you. Yeah, where yeah, should just I tell point me where things? to stand. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, my thing is that I always have an opinion, but I don't have all the information always. But, uh, well, but yeah, I, but you know what? There, there's always going to be people like you feel make you feel like you don't have all the information, and that kind of infighting on the left is is sort of sometimes what under undermines everything. But uh, there there is something to the one thing that I I don't understand is how more people aren't involved in 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 what should be the only message. Uh, of Occupy Wall Street, which is, you know, why haven't these, you know, financial institutions been punished? Right. Why, why are that we still? That should be the only thing being said. Right. And also, why can't we figure out how to manufacture things here in a reasonable way and have corporations act humane? Well, there's the problem. So, like, I still can't wrap my brain around the fact that we don't really make anything here and that, you know, unions are, are, are being, you know, castrated right. where it really was to protect people and to protect jobs and to give people a living wage and treat them well. But now it's sort of like they don't even have jobs for these people. And, and the, the big question, I can't believe I'm talking about this. No, but go for it. Man. That, <laughs> no, but, but the big question becomes sort of like, you know, we got all of this unemployment and people are like, well, where are the jobs? And then they're like, uh, well, I don't know. And I've talked. To like Pete, I used to talk to the former labor secretary, Robert Reich, and, and I'd had the same concern. I'm like, so what are we going to do? Where are the jobs? <laughs> and this is the guy that used to be on top of that. Right, he's he's, the, he's Clinton's labor secretary. And he said, well, uh, you know, web design and home care are pretty big. Wow. And I'm like, you, you are telling me that's what we're looking forward to? <laughs> Service industry jobs and web design and home care? That's that's the future of America is waitresses, people taking care of ailing boomers that have money and perhaps sort of like I do websites. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) but here in L.A., we create I mean, I've talked about this before on on the other shows is that we're the only ones who are creating jobs out of whole cloth. Right. Mm. In Los Angeles. Have you seen lifebooker.com by any chance? It's the group. I just heard about this. What is creepy, creepy? uh, It's coupons for plastic surgery. Really? Yeah, LifeBooker. It's Groupon for like things like teeth whitening, microdermabrasion. You're like, that's sort of surgical. I don't want a coupon. <laughs> I don't want. I don't, you know, I just. Uh, I th- oh, so are they? Are there Groupons as well where you go with your friends? It's. Uh, it isn't. A, well, Groupon. You know. Uh, I don't you, know what a Groupon is. You can go alone. It's a coupon. It's a coupon, but it's it's sort of like this. Could you explain community. to me the uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the 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 ins and outs of Groupons? I've never used Groupon, but here's what I know about Groupon. They're yeah. the only ones that email me often enough to make my iPad valid. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what they are, though? They're, well, what you do is uh, they send you a thing that says, hey, there's indoor go-karting. This was the last one I saw that I was interested really? in. Really? You yeah. got that one? Yeah, but I, well, I got that one, and it's in Burbank, and it's a Groupon, and I didn't know there was go-karting anywhere near my house. Yeah. So I'm very excited about uh, indoor go-karting. Are you going to go? I will go. Will you, you go? do a live podcast. Oh, I go-kart. could dork expedition in the go-kart. Mm. Oh, that can happen. Do you remember the kids when you were a kid that made go-karts? Um, the one guy that knew how to take apart a lawnmower and then make this thing. It's like, look, I'm going to die on this. <laughs> I met a guy who was raised in like uh, Eastern Bloc, um, Poland, who oh. could make mopeds out of nothing, out of like like a ball of string and a package of duct tape. And he'd be like, look, a moped. <laughs> and you're like, will you make me one? He's like, $70. And I said, I, I'm in, I'm in. And then he never found enough. Stuff. Wire or string or something. I don't know. Together. Yeah, exactly. I was like, all right. No. I wish I was one of those people. I wish I could build things out of nothing. I want to live off the land. I want to do all kinds of things, but I would just die of exposure. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to camp. Did you ever camp? Huh? I've camped Mark once. Have you? I, it was a well, maybe twice. Yeah, um, it was outdoor camping in a tent, lying on the ground. Well, there was the plan was. Back, I don't remember, uh, it was years ago. It was like, we're, we, I bought a tent and I was with, uh, one of the wives and, um, <laughs> we bought a tent 
And it was sort of like everything happens to me with a certain amount of fury. Where like you know, where it's like you know, we, there was there was camping being discussed, and eventually it got to a point where I'm like, well, let's just fucking go then. And sweet so, s'mores on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. So like we went and bought a tent, and we bought sleepy bags and everything else, and we just drove upstate New York. And me, in my mind, I'm like, where do we pull over and set this shit up? And then it was like, well, you can't just camp anywhere. I'm like, what? Do you, how is that possible? This is a America. We should be able to set up, but no, but you need a trail and, and you need some facilities nearby. I'm like, fuck that. Let's just do it. And then, and then she's like, we didn't buy that kind of tent. And I'm like, well, what kind of tent did we buy? You know, the kind that you kind of like a big one, not the kind you are on a ledge on. So. Oh, she knew it, about it, what, camping. No, kind I didn't of, know but it was sort of like tents? horrible because we ended okay. up at a KOA. And uh, that's not really outdoor camping, you know, you just pull in and it's like gross and dirty and there's a, you know, an area with a pool table and like a shitty snack bar and dirty bathrooms and you get like a, 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 like this horrible circle that has rocks around it like that's your lot. And you like just set up your tent and then you spend the whole night going like, are they going to keep that music on? You know, like... Get oh, this lost is just in like the Ozarks and yeah. like live my side of the mountain. I want yeah. I, I want to get a falcon and have him help me bond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I want to learn how to build a fire and I want to cook a squirrel. I'd, I'd like and, to, yeah. and eat like two bites and then I'll be. I'd done. like to do that, but like then it's like I don't know, man. It's like what about uh, you know hillbillies? And um, <laughs> hey, I just I was just in Arkansas and I met a bunch of hillbillies. And here's what I've decided: because all the hillbillies they looked exactly like hillbillies, yeah. giant beard, half a dozen teeth, yeah. army jackets, yeah. you know, the whole nine yards. And then they would say things like, "So I'm reading uh, Faulkner. Have you yeah. read any Faulkner?" And yeah. I'm like, "So all there is to do in Arkansas is your chores and then read? Is that what's <laughs> happening?" That's uh, seriously that the, goes the against everything I've been taught. I've been taught, and then and then they slaughtered a hog and I we thought smoked that Faulkner it. Faulkner wrote lovely. about hillbillies. That hillbillies didn't read. Faulkner. Right, right. It was just like, well, Andy's dad grew up in Mississippi, and Faulkner's from Mississippi. He said, well, it was obligate, you know, uh, obligatory to read Faulkner there. And I was like, I've read one Faulkner, and it was the easy one. Which one? Uh, the Reavers. Reavers, yeah. Yeah, that's the easy one. For those of you. You didn't uh, sweat over the Quentin section of The Sound uh, and the Fury? Uh, crying out loud. There is no time until it was. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm exhausted hearing those words. It's dense. It's dense and beautiful, and I'm sure it's lovely. No, it's great. Yeah. The the Benji section, he's retarded. <laughs> and um, in, in those we, days, they were called retarded. I'll tell you, last week they were called retarded because uh, one of the cousins in Mississippi, we're also in Mississippi, and one of the cousins is, she's a love, she's either a saint or she's hoarding crack babies mm. because she has nine children and they're all, uh, they were all, you know, hmm. lovely people. And they're just, but one of the girls is like nine years old and she's, She's kind of hyper and she's really interested in everything, but she's a little slow, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're at this funeral and after the funeral, uh, somebody's phone rings, the Aunt Amy, and she's like, hey, this is 911. Uh, someone called 911 on this phone. She's like, Rachel, did you call 911? She goes, the flowers are dying. <laughs> And you're like, kid, you're right. At least you know to call, but just people, just people. <laughs> well, maybe those people are fighting that the the sort of depiction of them in Faulkner's books. Like there was that whole Snopes family. Like what was that? Now I'm going to nerd out on Faulkner. Yakna Patafa County uh, uh, was the, the 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 land of Faulkner, and he had that whole family of like these weird weasel faced hill people called wow. the Snopeses. Okay. And and maybe they're like, we're not letting that happen again. And they're going to read right <laughs> it was like 
like, like uh, this one woman was like, so have you read uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne? And I was like, not recently and not without it being assigned. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was just like, I can't. I hated, when I was 13, I hated that, that, that Scarlet Letter. I was just like, you should leave. You should leave that town. Uh, guess what? If yeah. what's her face with the Scarlet Letter could have talked back to me, she would have said, where? Where yeah, would I yeah, be going? Yeah. Where would I go? Live with the Indians? Yeah, that's a liberal moment. <laughs> that's another and, uh, book. That's another, that's a different book where I dash out and live with the Indians yeah. and I, I chew on the leather yeah, to soften yeah, what it. book is that? I can't remember now. But I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't read Crime and Punishment until I was well into my 30s. Oh, really? It was assigned in high school, and there was just no way I couldn't read anything in high school. Oh, you I mean Russian. Up, have huh? you read Rush, the Russian? What have you read? Dost- so that's Dostoevsky, right? Yeah, what a great book. Is Raskolnikov, it? sweating it out. I picked the shortest Russian book that we were, we could do Crime mm. and Punishment. We could do something else, and I did uh, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, mm. which is uh, blessedly short. Mm. Again, much like the Reavers, it's the easy Russian novel. Well, the hard <laughs> The thing about those novels is keeping all the names in track because there's so many characters. And I really think that Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment invented the uh, good cop, bad cop shtick. Oh, really? Yeah. There was like definitely like a good cop, bad cop oh, that were just like you know, pushing Raskolnikov to the edge as he you know knew he killed that person and just okay. can't live with it. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. It was. It's better to read them uh, when you're older if you okay. have the time. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I tend to read like one, uh, the Kill Mockingbird once a year. I need to read that. Oh, and... A blessedly short, easy read as well. That's another it's thing. Awesome. Yeah, that's another thing I've definitely nerded out on in my life. Are authors that like if I read one book like Don DeLillo when I first got when I first read White Noise, I'm like, I have to read everything he's ever written. And I think I read every Don DeLillo book up to Underworld, which I didn't quite finish. But like you know, Running Dog, Ratner Star, uh, White Noise, Great Jones Street. Like I read all of these old DeLillo books. Tom McGuane, same thing. What kind of books Nobody's, are they? I don't DeLillo know. is a genius. Okay, he's a genius writer. He's very bleak. White Noise is very bleak. Okay. Uh, but it's beautiful. Dystopian future kind of stuff? No, or? they're, they're pretty kind of current. You know, okay. it was about, uh, the, the main character, as I recall, was a professor in a Hitler studies program. <laughs> it's already a great setup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Made me laugh. <laughs> sort of darkly funny, but, you know, really kind of, it had, a, it hinged a lot on this uh, miracle uh, antidepressant drug that if you took too much of it, you would, uh, you no longer could uh, decipher between, you know, things being said and things that are happening. Like if somebody said, you know, hail of bullets, you'd be like, Ah, you know, um, oh. uh, so, but I, I'm doing, not doing it. I'm doing a disservice because I don't remember it. And but, what, uh, still writing or wrote in the nineties or no, he's still 60s? writing. Yeah. Underworld writing. was a huge book. And then he okay. wrote a play recently. He, I just read his recent one, which I think was called, uh, point Omega, which I did not understand at all. Oh, like really? I read it, it was simply written. It was not uh, difficult word-wise, right. but I got done with it, and I'm like, "What is the point of what that guy just dragged me through?" Right. <laughs> um, and my friend Sam, who's a genius novelist, Sam Lipsight, okay, uh, who has written um, he, his new book, The Ask, is genius. He's darkly funny, and he wrote a book called Homeland. You know, he's a big DeLillo guy. And so I always call him when I need to be, cause he teaches at Columbia now and he's, he's right. so funny. You guys should read him. If you like, like 70 style dark comedy, like Joseph Heller, those kind of things. Oh, cool. Lipside is, is the best. And his recent It'll be book. In the notes. Okay. His yeah. recent book is great. And I always talk about him, but, uh, I called him up cause I know he's a DeLillo guy and I'm like, what the fuck is with point <laughs> Omega? It was bullshit. Am I right? He's like, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm like, are you not going to say that because you didn't understand it and you don't want to say that? Or are you going to say, he's like, no, I thought there were some pretty good elements in it. You know, but he doesn't talk like that. I'm giving him this voice because he didn't say what I wanted him to say. <laughs> <laughs> I want him to name an element. And so. It was just a weird, difficult book, uh, you know, that took place. It was very sparse. There was like three characters. One of them was this old guy who was some sort of physicist, I think, who lived in a desert. And there was a, I, I just, I could not wrap my brain around it. It was too stripped down. And it was one of those books, because I'm a guy that really, all my life when I, when I was younger, I just wanted to be an intellectual person, but I could never pay attention in school ever. Okay. I was always, I, like, I was a guy that when I was in junior high and they assigned the Chronicles of Narnia and we had an entire year to read them, I was reading them all two days before. Wow. So, like, I was yeah. just sitting there going, I have to get these done. I have no idea what any of those books were like. Or what they're about. Right. And and it was the same in college. And I just always wanted to, you know, understand things. And when I don't, I yeah, feel like... Yeah, I think like sometimes that college is wasted on the, on the youth. It's because, uh, I mean, I, by the time I was about to graduate from college, I was like, oh, the classes are just starting to get interesting. You know, I could stay here another five years. Right. Yes, five years. Right. And, <laughs> and I took and, a philosophy class and all I wanted to do is be able to understand it. Yeah. You know, I think I'm a philosophical person. Right. But, uh... But I, but reading philosophy, you might as well be reading mathematics. There's a language they use. Like I wanted so badly to understand being in nothingness by Sartre. I want, like it's like 300, 400 pages. And I just knew in my heart that all of my questions would be answered if I could just figure out how to read that book. I wanted my mind to be blown by Aristotle. Yeah. And right. uh, it turns out I don't get Aristotle. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> but do we not get it? Yeah, or is he just really overrated? <laughs> I don't know. You know what helped me? Because uh, my mind was blown by Umberto Eco's The Name of the Rose. <laughs> so then I was like, I got to reread Aristotle. Right. And then I reread Aristotle. And, and I was like, like, nope. Damn it. Not there. Yeah, I got nothing. I got, yeah, I, I got the Plato's Cave thing. I got that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I tried to read Aristotle and I tried to read uh, Spinoza. Like, you know, I, and I do this every couple of years. Like, there's some part of me, like, I couldn't grasp chemistry. I couldn't grasp algebra. Right. I did okay with geometry because. Like it's pictures. Yeah, yeah. So I was better with geometry. Yeah, myself. of course. Like you're like, uh, you, oh, it's a proof, and you got to prove. I can do that. Yeah. You know what is X? I don't fucking know. I mean, you're not even talking about numbers anymore, asshole. Is that the so, twenty? I used to think it was the twenty-third letter in the alphabet, so X was a, t- a twenty-three. So it was always twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. I I just was uh, I was horrible at all that stuff, and and for there's some part of me as a grown-up that thinks really thinks that, and I think this with philosophy as well, is sort of like, I'm older now. I could probably do algebra. Right. (laughs) Now, I know most people in here probably made it to calculus, perhaps, or at least didn't have a problem with algebra. physics. I I cannot grasp things that can't help me immediately. (laughs) Like, if if, if that equation is not going to make me feel better, it's lost. I, I don't know. How to do it. <laughs> Fair enough. I swear to God, I sometimes think, well, I could, you know, I could be a lawyer. Yeah. I could be a doctor. Sure. I could be, I could be anything. Sure. If you, you know, just I, apply yourself. If I just apply myself, because now I know how smart I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's nice. Anyway, um. Good for you. But, Congratulations on that. Pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I bet. And, but the thing is, is if, if I, can't even open the damn book like i don't want to what somebody v somebody else fuck no i don't care and i just i mean i it's it's i mean it's it's admirable what people are willing to study and and i do think my lucky stars every day of my life that i knew what i wanted to do as soon as i did stand-up comedy because that's the hardest thing is trying to find what what you want to do in your life because you end up falling into jobs and you end up falling into careers and you're like 
well, no, I like this. I mean, I know people who do closed captioning, and they're like, well, I like closed captioning, but I would never have said when I was seven, I wish I could grow up and be a closed captioner. No, and, that's right. Because I really, really give a shit where commas go. I, and, <laughs> I, I sort of... I sort of screwed off my entire high school, and then the last year I kind of panicked and got A's, you know? Yeah. And then I got into, like, a, a school that, like, is only known for having, like, one of the the best dyslexia programs in the country. And I wasn't dyslexic. But so it was, like, half dyslexia and half sort of, like, indulged, uh, you know, middle-class failures whose parents <laughs> could afford to get them into that college at the last minute. Mm-hmm. It was Curry College in Milton, Massachusetts. Okay. And then there was that weird time where this is how I knew I was smart and how I, I really think I've wasted most of my life is that I I decided, like, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. I, I'm going to do it. Right. And, and, and I took a biology class and I fucking understood photosynthesis. All right. I, For the I, first I, time ever, you were like, no, I studied God. it. I understood RNA, DNA. I got the whole thing. I had it in my head. I knew it. And I was so impressed with myself and with nature. And, and <laughs> good of you. And, and, but that was the end of it. I was like, you know, I got a B plus in biology and I understood photosynthesis, but I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> totally. This, yeah, there's no way I'm going to keep this level of intensity or focus for what it's going to take to become anything. So I basically, uh, and what I'm saying, and I'm actually writing about this now, I had no plan A. Right, there, you know, right. I had a lot of plan B's, but A was vague. Oh. And that's how comedy works. It's like, because my brain is the way it is, and I can't really lock down on stuff, and I mean, a lot of people would think that's not being disciplined, but I need to be able to just sort of blurt. And, and, and comedy was a way to creatively blurt. Right. And, and as I blurt, it takes shape, and then people laugh at it. I'm like, I'm a professional blurter, <laughs> you know? And, and that's sort of how that all unfolds. I always wanted to be a comic, but come on, let's be honest. I mean, you, you know, so many comics are so much more intelligent than necessarily comedy. It was just sort of like, you know, ah, yeah, I could be a lawyer, but pretty funny. Right. <laughs> you know what I used to think about in comedy? I used to think that anybody, if you were smart enough, that anybody could do comedy. And then I met a woman, super smart, amazing writer. Nope. She has no personality on stage. It's really sad. And Maybe she's that's got a, her hook, though. It could have been her hook, but she just she alienated. Everyone just looked at her and went... Maybe she just didn't do it long enough. <laughs> I've seen Six a lot years? of people... Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. Who was uh, do you Do I know her? N- uh, you, n- never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you do. I've known but, a, look, dude, I've known a lot of people who we know... That, you know, probably myself included, though I don't have any real hindsight with it, who were categorically not funny. Oh, there were bad times. When when they started. And and then there's this amazing moment because most of us can only do what we do. There's very few of us who are like, like, well, if 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 I, Mark Marin, am not working, I'll just invent another guy. Some people can do that and I envy them. Oh, like Dave Kettner. Yeah, they just invent people. Yeah. Yeah. But like I've known comics that were are so uniquely themselves now, but when we started I, they, we, they couldn't get a laugh to save their life. Right. And then one day, uh, you don't even know how or why it happens, but it just clicks. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, they're funny now. <laughs> and they're not saying anything differently. Right. I don't even understand that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's I, magic. I, it's uh, a guy I know in Minneapolis, Dave Mordahl, uh, went up to this guy. I know Dave Mordahl. You know Dave Mordahl. Yeah. You, you've met him, Minneapolis comic. Yep. And uh, he was working this terrible gig out in those burbs. And uh, this guy did a guest set. And Dave has a terrible temper. 
And uh, Dave went up to this guy and said, stop doing comedy. Oh. Stop it. Yeah, He's I, like, yeah. if you had been doing it for three years, five years, I would say, keep going. Twelve years now. I've never seen you say a funny thing. And it was brutal. And uh, funny now, but uh, and only funny uh, and and of course none of Dave's business. But here's here's the kicker. Next night, guy came up and asked him, uh, came back and asked him for a guess set. So he's just one of those guys that doesn't know. I, I you know I have something uh, like a thorn in my heart uh, around this similar story. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, when I was working at give a mouse to pull it out of your paw. I wish. I think it would just take a, just a, an apology. <laughs> That would also help. There was this guy in Boston when I was the uh, Catch Rising Star, when I sort of the second time I started in uh, in Boston in the late 80s. And, and at that time, it was like it, down, that scene was really, it was like Garofalo and Cross and, uh, um, you know, Louis came later and, and me and, and Keitlinger was around for a bit. And it, there was this whole crew that the started Boston yeah, in Boston and at Catch Rising Star it was really the first Stephen venue. Wright? Who? Stephen Wright? No, he's no. way before us. That okay. was a, that was the ding ho. Okay. But, uh, but it was really the first sort of venue where more, you know, different other than the regional sort of 80 style comics could work. So a lot of us were, were hanging around there. I'm trying to think who else was there. Like Matt Graham, who doesn't do comedy anymore. He's a Scrabble genius. I just interviewed that was, but there used to be this guy. There's always a guy in any sort of comedy scene. This dude who they used to put him on last. He would drive down from New Hampshire, this lanky, weird looking Jewish kid named Brian Fast. And he would be, he would, he would, they put him on last all the time, every week. And he was just, he just wasn't, you know, I didn't think he was funny. I don't want to say he, he would go, it would hurt me to see him just going up there. It was like painful for me. And one night when I was drunk and I was walking up the stairs with Cross to leave the club because it was late, Brian was coming down to do his set. And I just looked at him and I said, why don't you just go home? And, um, and I'm, I, I, I still feel bad about it now. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah. Cause I think he's still doing it. And I, I, um, <laughs> And I really need to apologize to that guy. Right, like it's but, one of those weird amendses because I, you know, I do the uh, the recovery thing. Right, you and do it's, an amends. It's an outstanding amends, it an and, and I and it's really stuck in my heart that I, and I just want to apologize to that guy. Yeah, I'm getting a little choked up about it now because who the fuck am I to? Yeah, to it's say none that? of our business. I mean, I I was just thinking about how if because there are comics that I've met that are so. Fu- I mean, I on stage I want to fix their comedy and it's none of my business it's absolutely none of my business and and I have you ever given them something though and then they try it and it sucks and how do you feel about that I haven't given them anything. Uh, they've said things off stage and I'm like, please say that on stage. Please say that on stage. Yeah. Or I will buy each of those jokes for a hundred dollars and then I will become famous, uh, with those two jokes. And then you, uh, or you could do them. That's a little <laughs> reverse psychology. Uh, it turns out it didn't work and, uh, and she, she's still not doing it and it just, it drives me crazy, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. It'd be like if someone came up to me and said, over and over and over yeah. and over again, yeah. you would be so much funnier and more popular if yeah. you were 40 pounds less. And and they kept saying it to me over and over <laughs> and over again, where I'd be like, well, fuck you. I can't. I'm not going to. Because you can only do the kind of comedy you do. That is all you can do. But, and but it's some amazing. people influence other people. Like I was just going to like that. You just brought up something that I'm, now I got to look it up because I just oh, okay. read this amazing mm-hmm. article um, about... Um, this guy, his name is, I just looked up because he emailed me, Cliff Nesterhoff. Okay. Nesterhoff, N-E-S-T-E-R-O-F-F, Cliff, K-L-I-P-H, wrote a series of articles that are up on the WFMU uh, blog, on the website. 
and they're all about the you know the sort of weird you know golden age of comedy in the in the fifties and sixties. Okay. And his most recent piece is called The Schleppers, and it's all about this scene around Times Square, probably in in the mid-50s. And it was about this guy. It all comes down to these two guys. Uh, one was named Jack Roy, and one was named uh, Joe Ansis. Now, Joe Ansis has always been credited with being the guy who made Lenny Bruce funny. Like, he was one of these guys who never had the balls to get on stage, oh. but was just a riot, and he was Lenny Bruce's roommate. So, Joe Ansis okay. is one of these unsung yeah. sort of geniuses that everyone credits for for turning Lenny Bruce into the guy he was right the, and, yeah into like you know, we all giving, know those guys right they're, they're they, like that guy he, he's right and he they influence people break. right yeah. and Jack Roy and him were best friends and Jack Roy quit comedy and him and uh Ansys used to be in an aluminum siding and they would write jokes together and sell them out of the trunk of their car in Jersey <laughs> to all these and Jack Roy turns out he couldn't uh like he was too angry to do stand-up and he couldn't get a shake but he's writing all these great jokes and really changed the tone of modern comedy with the jokes these two guys were writing and the great moral, uh, the great um, sort of uh, twist of the story is Jack Roy started performing again after years of telling the aluminum siding and being a miserable fuck, yeah. changed his name to Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, hey. That is an awesome story. But you should go read his stuff. He wrote an article on Checky Green, this guy Cliff Nesteroff. I'm going to throw I'll, him a bone. Yeah, or, or just uh, email me the link or I'll put it in the Yeah, I mean, if you're a deep comedy nerd, that last article blew my mind. That's awesome. Because it's really saying that, you know, without Rodney Dangerfield and this guy Joe Ansis, the whole sort of trend of the whole what became modern stand-up might not have happened. Would have been different. Yeah. I'll tell you that uh, my father sells aluminum siding, mm -hmm. and he's a very, very funny man. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I started doing stand-up comedy, I came home from college, and I and I started going through his albums, and he had – I can't even remember their names, but they were all Jewish comics from sure. the 50s. Myron and Cohen. Probably. Mm. Uh, that was – is that Jewish? Shelley Berman. Okay, just kidding. Oh. Anyway, so uh, I didn't know <laughs> – I met my first like Jewish. I, I was I was telling uh, I was telling some story when I came home from college the first time, and I said, you know, I, I was hanging out with this uh, this woman. Her name was uh, Sarah Weinstein, and uh, my dad goes, "Think she's Jewish?" And I <laughs> and I said, "I don't know if she's Jewish." And he said, "She's Jewish," and I was like, "I don't know what." <laughs> I know, but uh, so I find all these albums of him, and I start listening to them. And my father, for the previous fifteen years of my life, had been stealing the stories off of those albums and doing them as his own really yep and i had learned you know in doing stand-up for seven months what and you I mean your father said stories like when my mother was in the camps <laughs> uh his mother was on the she was on the on other the, side well no she was in the on the trail she mm -hmm. was on the uh he would just you know he would massage it mm -hmm. uh because of the armenian you know the march through oh, lebanon really? yeah because yeah, yeah. she was in the, the the turks and the armenians and the throwing oh, the rocks awful. and yeah. it was sad yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. But the Lebanese make an excellent fatouche. Oh, yes. Anyway. Um, and a pretty good kibby. <laughs> they make a nice kibby. We call it kufta. Oh, is that My what it's people called? call it maize. Mm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is. But he stole all these jokes, and I was like, Dad, you can't steal. What, what are you doing? These jokes, those aren't your jokes. And he said, I can do whatever I want. I sell aluminum siding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use them. You're a comic. <laughs> uh, touche. Touche for, yeah. I know, exactly. Bit of a three-pointer there, uh -huh. Pop. And uh, occasionally. I listen to some of those old guys. I, I have a thing for, for uh, some dude who, uh, like Rodney Dangerfield is one of these weird kind of unsung like geniuses. 
Like, I, it always bothers me that there's this whole generation of people who dig comedy yeah. that kind of dismiss so many of these guys that were great. I mean, like, I, you know, if you listen, like, I just, within the last year, really sat down and watched Bill Cosby himself. That, oh, right. That, and, and it just, I've never I, seen it. You gotta watch it. I know it. I know because, it. Because, like, I you know, you know, Bill comedy. Cosby, and I listen to his records, and you know, it's like the whole Noah bit. It's like, uh, I That's want you to build. That's my favorite bit right. of his. Well, well, himself, I think, was done probably in the late seventies and early eighties, and I never, like, I never watched it, and I never, like, and I learned something as a comic. This was like literally two years ago that I watched it, that I sat down and watched it, and, and you I learned was, from it. I did. Because he's just telling stories, yeah. and and what's and he's just sitting there awkwardly, like there's no, you know, <laughs> there he's just sitting in a chair like this, not even a stool, telling stories. And what I learned was like he's deciding this is funny, yeah, that, like it, it has nothing other than it's nothing other than that that his stories are funny, but if someone else told them they wouldn't be funny. And there's a way that he presents his stuff where he's like. There's no question in his mind that this is funny, and that's what makes it funny. Yeah. And to me, that was a revelation. Like, because, like, I spend, you know. Have my... you seen him live? No. I have seen him live twice. And, and do you uh, know what I'm saying? Am I being, is it a weird no, no, thing the, I'm saying? It, well, no, it's, ex it's exactly right. But the weird thing is, is that, um, what I loved about his stand up when I saw it, cause I've never listened to his albums. Mm -hmm. And I, we listened to Zig Ziglar when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. We listened to, you know, sell the sizzle, not the steak kind of thing. It was a lot of motivational speaker. It was dumb. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, uh, but I never listened to Bill Cosby and we go to see Bill Cosby. And what I loved about him was that it was just stand up. You know, the guy's a genius. He's a god. He walks on water. He's the most amazing thing since the dawn of man. And then you see him and you're like, oh, he's just, it's, this is, I'm sure, the same way he's been doing stand up comedy yeah. from 1967. Comedian. He's a comedian. And he's telling stories, though. I saw, he dug a hole so deep. He jumped into it. He played with dirt. Yeah. He shoved it in his own mouth and then he climbed out of it, raised upon the shoulders of the yeah. audience wow. because he brought a fat kid on stage, made fun of the fat kid mm -hmm. for like 12 minutes mm -hmm. about how much he's like, so you're kind of a big kid. How old are you? He's like eight. He's like, you got to weigh 120 pounds. Uh. And the kid's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, oh. and so on and on and on. And he's like, so what do you do during the day? And the kid's like, what do you mean? And he said, well, if I were your friend and I came over to play with you, what would you do? And, and what would we do? And he said, well, I have an Xbox. He said, yeah, do you have a scooter or a ball or a rope? So it's concern. He wanted the kid not yeah, to be Except fat. for that, right. It was, that's tough love. Tough. In, I thought, he, and then he brings her, his mother up. Oh boy. And, and I thought her. the mother was going to punch him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he somehow gets out of it, gives the kid a t-shirt. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. I don't even and then know how he on did dead it. is great. <laughs> <laughs> I, and it, and it only, the only way you can do that is if you do stand up for 45 years. Yeah. That's the only way, as yeah, far as yeah. I can tell. No, yeah, you can't push them over the edge and uh, always bring them back. But the, the whole story thing, I think, really resonated with me in the sense that, you know, because I, you know, I, I, I have jokes and I do my comedy my way, but like a lot of the great comics, you know, like even like Newhart. I mean, you listen to those dudes in the first wave of, of what really was stand-up comedy as opposed to just comedians. They were telling personal stories, and that was what stand-up was. And somehow, yeah, and somehow it got, you know, there was always joke tellers. Right. But, like, I get, like, now to pay me back for the Brian Fast debacle, right. like, because of my podcast, which, and I love that people love it, I, I get no less than 50 emails or 100 emails a week from people going, finally going to do it. Gonna do stand up. Oh, you know. 
thank and, God. Right. Thank right. You. And there's part of me that's like, that was not the intention. <laughs> was to... To, 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 you know, but, but on some level, why not? Because yeah. no matter what, you know, to, to actually get the bug and to pursue it is a rare thing and it's, it's a difficult thing and it's really kind of crazy. But to get up on stage because you've been wanting to do it your whole life, fucking knock yourself out. Do it. Give it a try and God forbid you do well that first time. Oh, right. Or even Because then you might be in it for a, you might be a lifer. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know? And on that note, Mark Marin. Thank you so much for coming oh, on. thanks for having Saliva me. Alive the Dork Forest. Very exciting. Very exciting. That was fantastic. Thanks. And everyone should listen to WTF. I think everyone already does. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?